Hello and welcome to Straight Talk, Supply Chain Insights, the podcast for your supply chain leader who is on the go and wants to be in the know. And now, your host, Laura Ciceri. Welcome to Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. My name is Laura Ciceri. I'm the founder of Supply Chain Insights, and today it's with great honor I introduce Nick Lynch. I've known Nick for about a decade, and Nick used to lead the planning work for Shell, and he's now a partner at SmartChain. Hi, Laura. Great to meet you again. Yeah, yeah. So what did I miss in that introduction you want to tell the audience? Um, I'm a supply chain guy. I've been doing supply chain for, I hate to say it, about three decades now, and that's in uh, fast-moving consumer goods to begin with into um, pharmaceuticals and, and consumer health products and then into oil and gas. So I've, I've got a, right, a, a good spread across a number of different industries. And I'm now a partner with Smart Chain, sort of helping to share some of that experience and transformational experience into companies that uh, are, like many companies, needing to make change right now. Yeah, indeed. So this is part of a series we're producing on leadership. And Nick, I know you've worked with a number of companies and what's three decades, I've got five decades, but- uh, Who's who's counting? Who's (laughs) counting? How do you define supply chain leadership? And can you think of any examples of where you've seen just really great leadership? Supply chain leadership for me comes in a number of different forms. I think it's in supply chain, you have to take uh, decisions all the time. Some of those decisions are quite tough. So good leaders are able to act quickly and with integrity. I've seen some good decisions made, you know, in over over that sort of time, you know, judgments to make changes to supply chain, to support initiatives, um, to do things um, that are where you're doing, you're making changes, you're driving a supply chain forward, but you're doing it in alignment with a vision, with a strategy. It's not just chasing the latest thing. And I think that sort of differentiates uh, good supply chain leadership from, from average, let's say. Um, I think uh, supply chain is often not positioned well in a company. So supply chain leadership can not always be seen to have a, a seat at the top table, which doesn't help. I think supply chain is a critically important function uh, for a business. Get it right. And it really, really helps drive business performance to hit to hit strategies, to hit objectives. Get it wrong or don't really do the right things. And it, it has a significant impact. So I think... Um, yeah, I think supply chain leadership is a critical thing. That's what I like to do. You know, I like to consider myself in that sort of mix. So let me see. The attributes that I heard you talk about for the, your supply chain leader is the ability to make decisions, ethical, and not really get you know off track with shiny objects. It helps. It helps. It's a really tough place to be. Um, there are so many shiny objects out there. You know, we're in the digital age. Um, and in my time uh, with Shell in the last sort of few years, I was receiving so many knocks on the door, emails about everything. And, and some of it, some of it is really good. Don't get me wrong. Some of it's really, really good. So I think one of the challenges for leadership is to be able to find the things that you should follow. You know, don't, don't just assume that every uh, new technology, new piece of kit, new software is, is right for your business. Um, and I think that probably contributes to why so many digital transformations are seen to fail. And I know you've commented on this in the past and, and there are many surveys pointing at this. Um, but you know, if you try and you put a square peg in a round hole because you just like the idea of a technology, 
without really understanding what it's going to do for your business, what problem it's going to solve for your business, uh, that can lead to trouble. So I think the ability to not necessarily follow just what seems to be cool and nifty right now um, is a is a good quality in a leader to have pick the right pick the right things. So any stories from your experience come to mind? Um, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus directly, you know, sort of from the from my, my previous roles, but I've seen projects that are where where resources effort were put into things simply to have the thing. You know, I, I don't want to sort of name, name, name any companies or any people yeah. in that space. Yeah, you know, we can pro- pro- projects, projects that just don't deliver. Projects that run and run and run, they don't deliver. And you look at it sort of two years later and the business is still the same. Nothing's changed. So that's kind yeah. of, I, I take the opposite view. You know, I, I, I like to make change and I like to make change that's meaningful and that it, that it sticks. So one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you for this podcast is your influence management to build guiding coalitions for demand-driven projects. You are the only person I know of that has done demand-driven on the forecasting side and demand-driven on the procurement side. And even though those concepts are slightly different by the definition of demand-driven, both are trying to get a better signal off of market data. How did you build a guiding coalition for those projects? Because they weren't insignificant; they were global rollouts. No, yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're two projects that I'm, you know, I'm really proud of those projects because they made a, a significant difference to the bottom line in the company. Um, well worth doing. But you're right to flag they they weren't easy to do. A company the size of Shell is is a very very large company. We're absolutely going to be talking about matrixed organisations, um, balancing of who's who's got the power and influence both at a global level, at a regional level, at a local level. Supply chain is run at the local level. So you always have to make sure that you're influencing at, you know, at where it's happening at the coal face. But the, but it's not the coal face that signs the checks for the big projects. So you've got to be able to influence at all levels. So I, I, I was very aware of that in Shell. The organization was moving, you know, uh, decentralizing. So understanding that you have to bring the organization along with you. You, you can't just have a great idea in the idea department, you've got to be able to get people to to buy into that and see why that would be good for them. So I spent a lot of time on the uh, what we loosely call the change management um, side of things, but I also did something quite specific with with both of those projects, uh, demand sensing and demand driven. Um, I got a really strong business case, and I tested the solutions. I tested the technology. I I didn't want to just take an idea, put it into the business, and cross my fingers and and take all the lucky charms and hope that it worked. I wanted to be absolutely sure if I was going to implement solution X or technology Y, that it was going to deliver what it was advertised to deliver. So I was really, really confident going into both of those that there was benefit to be had. It was really worth mobilizing ideas and people behind uh, behind the initiative. And that helps. It, it helps to build credibility and it, and it helps to get the sponsorship for the initiative when you do need to have a check signed or a contract signed. So you tested. Did you test with the technology vendor or the consultant? How did you get the independent mm-hmm. view? Because I think sometimes when someone like yourself, Nick, because you're very bright and you're very driven, people will say, you know, that's Nick's project. It really won't deliver. And, you know, how do you gain the credibility out of the testing? Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a really good question, Laura, because with with demand sensing, that was that was definitely new technology. That was emerging technology. You, you know, I, I couldn't in an Excel sheet start to simulate what demand sensing would do. 
it was high-tech black box algorithms pattern recognition way beyond my pay grade in technology to, to start doing that diy style um so that one was tested with the vendor but i i and and, and you'll remember you you know you know the guys um rob and the guys at the, at the demand sensing terror technology company at the time i held those guys feet to the fire you know they had to be in it with me to deliver what was required it wasn't just a give me the software and walk away. No, no, you're in this because this has to deliver. So that that sort of helped me protect from the using the technology itself to prove the case, which can be a bit circular in, in, in that sense. With demand driven, that was a bit easier to do that in a in a software independent way. So I could I could test that in uh, soft in a sof- software agnostic capability to see how would this theory work if I ran it in my business before I even started looking at software. So that meant that I had confidence that the, the theory itself was going to work for me. And then I could be really, really clear about what I was selecting software to do. And that helped. That helped enormously. So I didn't look at brochures. I didn't look at glossy marketing. I was looking for specific functionality to apply to a specific business. And that, as I found in, in the last couple of years, that's often missed, you know, in, okay. in software application. So you tested and I uh... How did you then socialize? So, you know, back to your governance model mm-hmm. where you've got local teams, you've got regional teams, you've got business units, you've got the global teams, and they're usually the ones that sign the check. But yeah. along that chain, you've got a lot of influencers. I mean, how many people did you have to influence for those projects? Oh, I mean, ultimate, ultimately, to, to implement and execute the project, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, there were there were 300 people I put through training these at the, the, the coal face and there were committee upon committee, steering committee upon steering committee to get things approved, um, you know, all throughout the organization. But, but, but the key, the answer to the question, though, is really you've got to have a plan. You, you've got to think this through. You have to have a plan and you have to engage in a structured way of working through those stakeholders. Different stakeholders need different information. Um Education can play a part of that. So if it's a new methodology or a new uh, technology, you're going to have to educate people to a certain level, some people more than others. Um, and, and then just work through that. Don't, don't ignore it. Don't, don't just assume that people will understand what you're talking about. Quite often they won't because some of this stuff is deep technical stuff. But how did you do it? Did you oh. go visit them, knock on their doors, take them to coffee? you know, do webinars, visit them. Yeah, a a real mixture. There's a broad spectrum of things that you do. Um, I was lucky enough to to get slots on quarterly uh, vice president webinars that went out to the organization. So we'd do an AM one for the East and a a PM one for the West. So I would share uh, updates on strategy and what we were doing. There would be education sessions, there were management meetings that I would go and, you know, get, get involved with to start sharing the idea. But there's nothing, there's nothing better than getting some early success in a project. So to actually sort of use some evidence of success to start driving further success. And I think that was quite important in, in both of the projects that I did. You can't convert a global supply chain all at once. So you have to pick a location. You have to pick a, a pilot or a proof of concept, whatever, whatever sort of methodology you, you call there. Make sure it works. Design the processes properly implement things properly, go through, you know, proper change management steps, which are often missed, get the wins, and then leverage those wins, leverage that success to create further success. So Nick, it sounds like a bit of marketing, then (laughs) if so, then 
That's something I think a lot of, you know, people that are implementing technology miss is they kind of put it in and think everybody knows that it works and they don't market the results. Absolutely. Tracking benefits is, is one of the things that we, we, we create a work stream for that in the way that we implement things. It's critically important because not only does it help you with the marketing, but many projects that are seen to fail, they fail because they don't sustain the results over time project you know the project finishes business transitions to business as usual and the benefits start to dry up and there's a number of reasons for that you know pro old habits come back you know sort of people go back to old ways of working microsoft excel comes back out you know so so you have to sort of track benefits and a few other things like process compliance process conformity um, to make sure that things stick and if if you do that the benefits continue to come so yes, it's, it's a bit of marketing up front, but it's not just about the upfront piece. It's about doing that throughout the program to make sure that you get the, the sustainability of the results that you're after. Now, from talking to you earlier, I know finance is really quite strong at Shell. And, uh, you know, sometimes finance can be doctor no. How did you work with them to convince <clears throat> them about the results? Well, it's interesting that the, the fact you're absolutely right. You know, Shell is a, a very large company, the brand leader in, in its field in lubricants. A lot of the pressure that you would feel in operations is directly uh, um, related to oil price. You know, it's the things that happen in the world. So if you look at what's happening with pandemic right now, you've got aerospace, you know, operating at a fraction of its capacity, uh, automotive heavily impacted. All of these things are external pressures on the business. But this is not new. This has been happening for quite some time. So finance is absolutely key, you know, working capital, operating costs, these all have a very, very sharp focus. And it was the focus and pressure on these metrics, which ultimately drove the big projects, drove the big initiatives, because they have to deliver. So, so having a good business case to show how you are going to make a positive impact on those finances is a very, very good thing to have. And there are ways that we talk about, talk, spoke about it a few moments ago. You know, there are ways of getting good business cases for initiatives so that you're not left to chance whether it's going to work. You know, don't don't leave change to chance, as we often say. So let's just kind of wrap up, Nick. If you had to give advice to someone that's listening that may be new in supply chain, kind of that young Nick, that young Laura, what would you tell them about driving success and new technology? Yeah. It's a great question. I, I, I've been reflecting on this for a few months now. I, you know, I, I wrote a few articles trying to capture my thoughts in that sort of sense. And I think I would boil it down to um, probably three things. Really think about alignment between your vision, your strategy and your execution in your supply chain. The, the vision, the company wants to be something. The company wants to achieve something. So what strategy are we going to follow to become that thing that the company needs to be? Now, whether that's just the best, the fast, the cheapest, the leanest, the most environmentally friendly, whatever it is that that vision is, work out the strategy of how you're going to get there. And then look at the way you execute your supply chain. Look at the, the core of your supply chain. How does it execute? You often find quite a lot of misalignment between those things. And we certainly find that in the work that we do with, with, with some clients and some prospective clients. You know, we think, yeah, they're trying to be one thing, but the, what they're doing inside the supply chain is something else and it's not aligned. So if you want to be lean, you know, don't have a really long, inflexible supply chain. If you want to be, you know, if you want to be sustainable from a carbon point of view, don't have a supply chain that's doing everything in an emergency everywhere, you know, burning right. fuel, shipping things around. So there, there are things that you have to align to get right. 
So focus on the core. So align vision, strategy, and execution. Focus on the core. And then, as I, I've probably mentioned a few moments ago, give change a chance. You know, change, changing a supply chain in its performance isn't an accident. It doesn't happen by chance. You've, you've got to do it properly. And I think those projects where you see success has happened and things transform, it's because all of the steps were taken to do that properly. So I, I would just, to the younger me or to other people in, you know, starting their careers in supply chain, uh, learn how to do change, learn the, learn the keys to that, learn how transformation happens and think about what your supply chain is trying to be. There are things you can change to help it get there. Give change a chance. It's a wonderful way to wrap up. Thank you, Nick. Nick is currently in the UK and uh, it's always great to talk to you. Until next time. Thanks, Laura. Take care.